0: Everybody, this is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LL Research Law One podcast, episode number ninety-three. LL Research is a nonprofit dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information, and fostering community, and towards this end it has two websites: the archive website llresearch.org, and the community website bringforth.org. I'm joined today by Austin Bridges and Gary Bean. In this podcast we discuss spiritual topics through the lens of the law of one and our own personal experiences. We hope only to offer a resource and provide discussion, not to present ourselves as authorities with the final word on these subjects. Please exercise your utmost discrimination when you listen to us ramble on. Many of the topics we discuss on the podcast come from questions sent in by seekers. If you have a question or topic you'd like for us to discuss, please send it in. You can mail them to us at contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further information. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and this is the LL Research Law of One podcast. Well, guys, today we have some questions sent in by an anonymous listener concerning the uh, exploration of the difference between the positive and negative paths. And um, Interestingly enough, I don't think we've had this topic on before, but I know that we've referred to uh, service to others and service to self types of uh, experiences. So uh, the first question is, how would you define the path with heart versus the path without heart? A service to others versus service to self? Or how would you say, Austin, would you like to take a shot at that? Sure, I can take a shot at that. Um, I think
1: most listeners probably have a little bit of familiarity with the... This sort of definition uh, and the spiritual path that is outlined in the law of one where we progress along our uh, path in the universe by polarizing towards service to others or service to self. And I think everybody probably has several different angles that they themselves look at it. So uh, one of the most interesting angles and most relevant angles to me is to look at it from sort of a developmental unfolding on the spiritual path uh, that Ra outlines talking about the chakras or the energy centers. Because when we talk about the heart, a path with heart and path without heart, Ra talks about the positive path utilizing the green ray heart energy center and the negative path uh, omitting the green ray heart energy center. So if we look at it from the viewpoint of our whole energy center system, the energy centers prior to the heart chakra, the the red, the orange, and the yellow, um, particularly the orange and the yellow, they seem to have, uh, they seem to be relevant to our development in terms of relationship to others and relationship to ourselves, but primarily others. Ra talks about the orange ray being sort of a personal relationship kind of uh, energy center where it will be crystallized by our interacting in personal one-on-one individual relationships and where sort of our relationship with others falls and how we relate to them individually. And then the yellow ray energy center is sort of how we relate more on a societal level or a group level. Um, I tend to look at it a lot in terms of social identity, but it is also sort of um, uh, heavily relies on group interaction. And so when we're developing along our spiritual path, probably for a lot of us working heavily in these energy centers, um, not just in this lifetime, but uh, we probably really crystallized our efforts in these energy centers in many lifetimes prior to this. Um, And most third density beings right now probably uh, have if they're on the cusp of harvest. Uh, I see that then we get to a point where there's a realization, whether it's a profound realization that happens maybe in a single moment or a single lifetime, or whether it's a long-term subtle realization that through this development of understanding our relationship with others, we develop this tendency or this desire to treat others in a certain way and to have a certain sort of relationship with others. And, Uh, That can be in terms of offering them love and acceptance and understanding, you know, we fall somewhere on this individual relationship or this social relationship, Uh, we fall within that relationship in a certain place. So how do we uh, utilize that place that we fall? Um, in offering love or acceptance? Or do we attempt to uh, control and manipulate those people to sort of increase our own standing in society, our own power within the universe? Um, Do we see them simply as extensions of our own will to achieve whatever means we want? Or do we see them as sovereign beings in their own right, worthy of our own uh, love and appreciation and Do we attempt to make life better for everybody or do we just simply attempt to do what we want to do despite what anybody else might want? And I think that these two sort of dynamics of interacting with others is, to me, one of the most relevant ways of defining the positive and the negative path, the path with heart, the path without heart, or service to others and service to self. I think it really depends on our relationship with others uh, to polarize. Like we have to look at how we see others and how we treat others and how we uh, consistently make a choice uh, and how we relate to others and and what defines the positive or negative path.
0: Yeah, that's very good. It it makes me wonder if you were stranded on an island in the ocean by yourself would it be possible to polarize positively?
1: I don't know. That's a pretty good question. I'd imagine <laughs> if you start relating to the world around you, like the sand, maybe there's a tree on the Island. Um, you could probably start relating to that and sort of a sacred sense that helps you polarize.
0: Yeah. Maybe some of the spirits around you can make new somehow. Uh, mm-hmm. Gary, uh, do you have a response to Austin or something on, of your own you'd like to share? And just on that interesting question a
2: quick riff and that's that like obviously there have been yogis and aspirants throughout history who have found their way to an isolated cave and stayed there until they became enlightened aka one with all more or less who knows to what degree i don't know but uh i think that is a hard path and as Ra describes living without others is living without mirrors so that such a one is not seeing the fruit of their beingness but yeah to this first question um, what's the difference between the path versus with and without heart what well, the difference is is that one path uses the heart and one path doesn't So there we have it Um, (laughs) in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Next question. Uh, I think Austin covered the bases really well, particularly in terms of how we relate to others. Um, But um, there, and also like he said, there's various ways to approach this question in terms of how one sees the polarities. Another way is to ask how is the self using their catalyst, catalyst being that which seems to happen to them throughout each day whether happening to them externally internally um, the material of life the lived experience of life catalyst how do you how do you use catalyst and Ra says that the key for the positive polarity the path with heart is to accept accept and love catalyst whether that's another self or the self or um, whatever may be arising in your attention or be greeting you in the moment. Whereas the key to the path without heart service to self is control. And it's a certain type of control. The positive path um, uses control in various ways too. I mean, you want to control the car that you're driving, obviously, if your hands are on the wheel. But control upon the negative path is a control is a is a lack of surrender a lack of acceptance and a control from the standpoint of an individual separated conscious mind separated from all that there is which wants to order the universe according to its desire and preferences and thus seeks to control everything which comes and goes um, with its own will and that leads to manipulation of others, subjugation, enslavement. The negative, the path without heart desires nothing more than to enslave all others. If it could, it could could sit at the top of the power pyramid of the planet, a purely negatively oriented entity that is, and control its subjects, enslave them, take their power for their benefit, so that's a, a quick, in a, in a nutshell, uh, the positive, a couple other qualities I might mention include that the positive polarity seeks harmony, which does not mean that there's not disharmony in the positive polarity because there is disharmony between all human relationships at times and especially within the self, but the positive polarity is seeking harmony and when successfully practiced, will experience harmony within itself, between people, negative polarity, on the other hand, path without heart, disharmony permanently, and um, forgiveness is another quality. But the path with heart is practicing and striving for forgiveness of all things, opposite on the other side of the path, and, and final point is I like what Austin said regarding sovereignty. Both with and without heart relate to free will in diametrically opposite ways. The positive polarity will see the sovereignty of all other beings and seek to honor the free will to the maximum extent possible of others. Indeed, the, the desire to avoid a fri- infringement on others' free will circumscribes the boundaries of the positive entity's service. Whereas the negative entity, instead of awaiting the call for service, Calls itself to its service, which is one of conquest, which means abridging free will, not or caring very little to nothing at all about the needs of the other self and their reality and their parameters and what is important to them, and instead subjugating them and saying, uh, you know, attempting to
0: enslave them. But that's yeah, quick, quick overview. Um. You know, every time I read about the negative polarity, it makes me wonder, why do they choose it? It doesn't sound like much fun, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? And I know that Ross said that in most cases, both those who choose positive and negative are far along the path before the conscious choice is made. And I'm wondering why that might be. Do you have any idea, Gary or Austin?
2: I've got a quick thought. Okay, by no means uh, deep or full. But like, I think all three of us have known the, the sweet taste of victory on one level or another. When there's say a competition, you're playing sports, you win, you're playing video games, you win or a board game, or you win an argument, or somehow you have overcome your opponent. And there's a sort of shallow kind of satisfaction in that and i'm not saying that in and of itself is the negative polarity but i think it's a taste of Mm. that sort of me above another me with increased power my enemy smoted smited
0: yeah okay austin how about
2: you
1: yeah i was actually going to give the example of a video game because that's probably where i have experienced the closest taste of that sort of power over others that Gary's talking about and then competitive gaming. And it's particularly present there, I think because it's very sort of anonymous interaction, like you're not looking at somebody's face. And so it's easy to uh, view them as more of an object to uh, use to your own will. And so, you know, I, if anybody's familiar with online gaming Culture, it is known for being incredibly toxic. And I think that is part of the reason why, because it's a very competitive thing and it is very fun. Like, I think it's uh, gaming itself is um, a very interesting medium for exploring a lot about humanity. But when it's competitive and you start getting sort of this momentum of building power over others, because you're winning, you don't really see them. You're not sure who they are. You don't really mind if you make them cry because you say something mean (laughs) or something like that. And it just builds this really uh, powerful toxicity that is really prevalent in the gaming community. It's a pretty big problem, but I also think that it's a, a catalyst like anything else that, um, is offering opportunity to everybody engaged with it to understand what they're doing because i did myself have a pretty poignant moment in uh my hobby of gaming and this is probably a little bit before i found the law of one where i just had this profound realization as i was uh really relishing and like they call it trolling people in a game and like just being mean and kind of like uh, treating them badly to, for my own benefit. And I realized this is a person who I may have just ruined their entire day, their entire week. I may have just uh, caused them to lash out at somebody else in their life and caused that person's day to go poorly. Like for me, I'm just sitting in front of my computer relishing in this feeling of having control over this other person's emotions, but I'm probably really affecting people's lives in a negative way. And so For me that moment was really poignant and I kind of disengaged from that whole um, dynamic but uh, I think that's sort of when people get enamored with that feeling and they don't have that realization they kind of cut themselves off from that realization they start building this momentum where if that realization ever comes their thirst for that power is greater than what
0: is needed to for that realization to affect them I think. Well, congratulations on making a very conscious choice there. A very compassionate (laughs) one as well. (laughs) Probably were an oddball in the gaming crowd after that. Well, um, my thought on the uh, path of the heart is uh, best expressed as unconditional love and compassion for all people and situations because I see that the Creator lives within all people and all things, no matter what the outer appearance I feel a great sympathetic resonance with Ra's description of the one creator using its energy of love to create our infinite universe out of light in order to discover more ways of knowing itself throughout all of the experiences that entities throughout the universe accumulate on their journeys back to the creator. It just makes so much sense to me that all of this infinite creation of people, planets, galaxies, and stars would have this great and overwhelming reason to be, to exist, and to do what they do. I mean, what possible greater reason could there be for anyone or anything to exist? It just feels in my bones that this is truly the way things are, why we're all here. And the path of the heart is the primary feature of this reason for our creation. Eventually, even the path without heart realizes this truth and switches its polarity onto the path of the heart. But now the path without heart is just the opposite. Entities on this path choose to live without using the ability of the heart center, except to love themselves and cause others to serve them, as you guys said so well. They take the path of that which is not, as Ra put it, the path of separation and accelerate the illusion of separation that we all experience to a degree in the third density, to a great degree, unfortunately, to start with, and to a lesser degree in succeeding densities. And then they attempt to control and enslave all others around them. I think Ra makes a really clear distinction between these two paths in the quote from uh, uh, session number 19. Questioner, can you tell me what bias creates their momentum toward the chosen path of service to self? I am Ra. We can speak only in metaphor. Some love the light, some love the darkness. It is a matter of the unique and infinitely various creator choosing and playing among his experiences as a child upon a picnic. Some enjoy the picnic, and find the sun beautiful, the food delicious, the games refreshing, and glow with the joy of creation. Some find the night delicious, their picnic being pain, difficulty, sufferings of others, and the examination of the perversities of nature. These enjoy a different picnic. All these experiences are available. It is free will of each entity which chooses the form of play, the form of pleasure. So, that's the way that I see the path of the heart and the path without heart. Any uh, comments, questions there on that question? <laughs> I think that was well distilled.
2: And if we have space, I'd offer another bit about why pursue the negative path. But if you'd prefer to move on, we can. No, move on. no, please do. Let's delve deeper. Austin mentioned uh, the toxic culture of video gaming, and I think toxic. As is used in another word that also adequately describes the negative polarity, and that's intoxicating. I think <laughs> there's a um, there's a love there too on the negative polarity. In fact, Rod does use that word, but it is a highly distorted love. It's not universal love. It's not unconditional love. It's not love of others whatsoever. It's just love of the self, and it's it's love of this. Of the creator, ultimately, again, albeit a, a distorted version, but there's love of the journey from the dark side. Uh, there is a sense, just like we of the positive. The, polarity feel we're faced with a challenge we overcome a challenge we can I have felt growth inside me a lot of times you only see growth in retrospect you look back and see wow I've changed over x amount of time but sometimes you feel the ascent happening in you like you you sense that momentum And I think that the negative polarity also has that original desire within them to grow, to move toward the creator. And they can feel that growth too. And they love that challenge and the overcoming of the challenge and the winning uh, as they perceive it. Um, So that I think is, as with the positive polarity, is a strong motivating factor. And uh, finally, I suspect that the negative polarity is born of some kind of fear of vulnerability because in an illusion where we're all separate, we're all uh, you know, vulnerable to injury, to being hurt by an, a seemingly impersonal world or by the hurtful action of others. And the negative polarity says F that, I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to be hurt. I'm going to put up armor. I'm going to defend myself increasingly. And then I'm going to come up on top of this shit pile. <laughs> I'm going to uh, dominate others. I'm going to be so powerful that you can't screw with me. I think that sort of um, chest thumping is part of the the gusto of the negative polarity.
1: Yeah. Um, To just piggyback off that real quick, uh, I think what we're talking about, too, maybe is more related to the initial choice that the negative being makes on that path, like what sort of leads up to that moment. But I do think that once they develop within the negative path, um, Ross says... I just found the quote. It's in 50.6. They say, the negatively oriented being will be one who feels that it has found power that gives meaning to its existence, precisely as the positive polarization does feel. So I think that once they sort of grasp that power, they it becomes a sacred path, just like it does on the positive path. It's not necessarily just about the being enamored with power like I was talking about or this sort of avoiding um, vulnerability and wanting to come out on top like Gary was talking about like those I think are great initiating um, motivations but then once you're sort of along that path I think you get this sacred sense of like I have this place in the universe and my place is to like put it in order to shape it to my will and that is what I'm gonna do from now on.
0: So actually such a choice by that type of an entity would could be conceived of by them as being of service to the universe. Do what I say because I know what you need to do, sort of like that, you think?
1: My understanding, I think, at least for some negative polarity, is that they do feel like the positive path is naïve. And they don't just dislike the positive path just for the sake of it being the positive path. I think they feel like their path gives more uh, organization, purpose to the universe, something like that. It's hard
0: for me to understand. Rod said something about uh, too much order by its very nature is negative. Why Do you suppose that's because it, it impinges on free will?
1: Yeah, I suppose so. Like it takes a lot of control to make things uh, ordered without deviation. And since every aspect of the universe is instilled with free will and operating upon that level, if something has free will, it's going to disrupt your organization uh, at least a little bit.
0: Yeah, you would have
1: to
2: suppress the free will of others in order to maintain your order because your order is one that funnels power up to you (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and is not a it's an order imposed by the individual by the conscious mind instead of the surrender of the positive path that seeks to cooperate with and understand and surrender to the inherent order of the universe
0: Okay, those are some good points. Uh, any other thoughts to share? Mm-mm. Not for me. Okay. Well, our second question: For example, what might organizations, systems, and businesses look like to be in harmony with the path of the heart? Gary, what's your thoughts here? Uh, thoughts from
2: from an ignoramus, uh, you know, from somebody <laughs> not well studied in these areas. I just tried to. I read some Charles Eisenstein who I'm going to plug later on and before we close this podcast. And I tried to think of how the law of one and the positive polarity would apply to the world of commerce and business and um, mission driven organizations. So I came up with three categories, money, wholeness, and planet and mission. And under money, I put that such an, organization or business probably wouldn't be conventional as we know it Um, it might overlap with capitalistic models but would probably wouldn't be entirely capitalistic Uh, in fact it would probably need to deprogram a lot of the normal ways of our world Um, it wouldn't exist merely for the sake of profit and it wouldn't be exploitative of workers or predatory toward others Um, the ceo or whatever the executive level of functioning that would exist in such an organization wouldn't be making like 400 times the base pay or 400 times the earnings of the the base worker um and it would be validating and supporting gifts that our present economy either doesn't recognize or or minimizes and in the wholeness category um such a thing that that operates within the path of the heart would foster togetherness and community through exercise and empathy and listening to each other recognizing that human beings are relational Um, it would well-being and joy and belonging would matter and would be prioritized Um, each within the group would have the space to develop their gifts to develop and contribute something meaningful and greater than oneself. Um, the health of the whole would be linked to the health of the individual. There'd be more group decision-making methods, and there would be greater ties and embeddedness to the community that each business or organization is seeking to serve. And then in the final category, planet emission, um, every organization that is operating from the path of the heart, Uh, would you know inherently the path of the heart is seeing and recognizing the interconnectedness the, the interbeing the web of all of life and as such would each business or organization would factor the environmental impact or the social impact of the business or the organization and um They would have a mission oriented towards genuine service to others, toward the health and the healing of the planet and of the self and of society. And I think there would be an ethos which truly within the heart of developing gratitude giving and holding a sacred relationship to life that recognizes the livingness, not only of the people, but of the planet and everything on it. Uh, there would be a connection to place that honors and listens to to the place but uh you know these ideas are still largely within the third density framework i can only begin to imagine how fourth density structures would operate
0: sounds kind of like our friends in Asheville you're talking about there
2: (laughs) yeah they i see them as pioneers of the model that i uh
0: outlined yeah austin how about you any thoughts on this topic
1: Uh, Yeah, Gary stole most of mine. Did (laughs) he? And I went first. No, uh, it was actually way more developed than anything that I had thought of. Uh, He touched on a lot of the points that I was going to touch on just in terms of, you know, how they relate to employees and other people in the environment and stuff like that. So I think um, something that makes this question so difficult is that uh, as I started thinking about it, I realized how rare and how much our society lacks examples of organizations that look like they are in harmony with the path of the heart. And I think it does have to do, maybe not with what we'd call capitalism specifically, I'm too ignorant to just sort of cast capitalism aside and say this is the problem, but our approach to capitalism that puts profit before anything else. And I think that's really the crux of whatever system is being used, whether it's capitalism or some other form of economy, some other form of uh, government, uh, whatever it is that we have our society built upon. I think anything might be able to work so long as the spiritual perspective of the people who are operating within that system is Uh, Positive. And I think that basically is sort of where they place their priorities. What questions are they asking themselves when they make decisions as individuals or as uh, organizations, systems, and businesses? Um, In our current system, the first question, basically, for anything, for at least a business, is uh, how does this increase profit? How does this help the bottom line? And then it's possible if it is. A socially conscious business that maybe the next question or the third or fourth question is how does this affect the people in our business? How does this affect the people outside of our business? How does this affect the environment? But those within our system are typically secondary to how is this creating profit? And I think in an organization that is in harmony with the path of the heart, The profit question, it might not be completely absent, but it would not overtake the question of how does this affect the world and how does this affect the people within our organization and outside of our organization. And that would be the question, the primary question um, That every decision is based upon. And, you know, it's not necessarily that every organization will be perfect at making those decisions that are the highest benefit to the world, but that they are at least trying by asking that question and that they aren't essentially looking at it as an equation in which profit is the ultimate you know, result of factoring that equation, but instead as a sort of organism of a, uh, a living being the organization itself and then how it fits into the living being of our society and our world
0: just out of curiosity uh in your studies do you see any place in our business society where this is occurring where there's more concern for people than for profit any of you guys um do you gary <laughs> Yeah,
2: in fact, um, when I plug Eisenstein, I was going to direct the eyes to an essay he wrote called the Institutes of Technologies for Reunion. And he talks about anything that's considered alternative and holistic may be operating according to this positive model, including things like permaculture and Oh, memory, <laughs> what else did he say? Uh, Austin, if you could start
1: speaking for a minute and then I'll <laughs> shock the memory. Sure. Um, I think it's hard for me to think of specific examples, partly because of my ignorant understanding of our capitalist system. And if we think about companies, I think we primarily think about like public uh, corporations that um My understanding, and I might be wrong, is that if a company is uh, public and sort of like traded on the stock market, they are required by law to consider profit over everything else, that they aren't allowed to place other priorities above uh, benefiting their shareholders. And that thinking also trickles into the non-public businesses. They're typically investors that have put their own money with into a business and those investors they may or may not care about the people involved but i think typically somebody with the uh, accumulated wealth to invest um, i don't want to dig myself into a hole and make it look like i think rich people are all bad but typically if you invest money into something you want money back you're not investing money into something uh, just to help Typically, you're making a business out of it, you invest so that you get a return. And so that's what you impose upon the person who's running the business is if they're considering people over profit, and you're not getting your money back, then you put pressure on them to start considering money more and more. And I think that just general system of how capitalism works, where um, capitals required to start an organization and then Capital is required to grow. It has to grow for the shareholder. It has to grow for the investor. I think that places so much emphasis upon financial growth that all other factors of the equation, like well-being of individuals, get placed behind it.
0: Yeah, well, that makes sense. Gary, did your uh, memory jog and come back to you? Yeah, I went back
2: to the article and there weren't um, many more that would help in the way of examples, but uh, I liked what Austin said in terms of prioritizing and in toward that end, I would think like um, NGOs, non governmental organizations that are mission driven, that are more broad based in their decision making, along with other co ops or charitable purposes would be operating more along these lines. Of course, they would uh, likely need to generate funding in some way or another, whether it's strictly through donations or sales or services rendered, and there couldn't be uh, profit accrued thereby. But their model would, as Austin described, uh, would be aimed toward the well-being and the service of all they would be in service to life and um i know that there are many examples uh of that around the world but i would think generally they are in the minority or even the margins
0: yeah i think i would agree (laughs) Well, I personally had to think pretty long and hard on how businesses operated with the qualities of the open heart would function, because even the word business seems to be antithetical to the open heart. The path of the heart gives without expectation of any return. And in our economic system, as you guys have mentioned, businesses exist to make money as their primary goal, with perhaps a nod to serving others as the reason for being in business. But without the money angle, I doubt that most of what we now know as business would exist. So I think we have to imagine a whole new world where groups of people would get together to meet each other's needs on the grassroots level, perhaps, the local or community level. For example, when I lived in the woods of central Kentucky in the 70s, many other hippies had moved to the country to buy land and build houses and homes, raise their own food and homeschool their children. And we formed what was called a community group that would go around to one of our homesteads one day a week and do whatever work needed to be done. The work might be gardening or building some structure, cleaning the home or barn and so forth. We usually brought along a dish of food to share at the end of the day in a potluck meal. The conversations would go on into the evening. It was a very enjoyable way to help each other get work done. And I think the same thing could be done in our world today as people on the community level could organize themselves to do the very same thing if they wanted to, but with the COVID-19 virus creating the need for social distancing at the present time, it's more likely that this type of a grassroots level of work could be done via the internet to give away unneeded furniture, tools, books, clothes, and so forth. and also list skills that people have to help others who are homebound due to illness or injury get what they need. I think that the grassroots level of our society is really where these innovative ideas come from. And the internet provides us a way to meet and exchange ideas as to what needs to be done and how to get it done. I think that if you get enough good, open-hearted people together, you can figure out a way to do almost anything and not have to rely on as much on the business community, which is not usually as open hearted in its functioning as friends in their own communities. But I will say the spread of the COVID 19 virus has tended to make the employees of most businesses much more open hearted about helping out customers than I've ever seen them before. So I think that's the stress and strain of the current situation in the world sometimes brings out the best in people and occasionally brings out the worst as well. But I think uh, such situations as we're in now um, might help us all to grow more into the open heart. Any more comments on this question? Nope, not for me. Nope. Okay, well, we'll move on to the third question then. And this one had a little fuzziness about it. So we might have a couple of interpretations on what we're talking about. Uh, the question is, what characteristics have become part of our organizations, systems, etc.? Because there isn't clarity about these differences between the path of the heart and the path without heart. So what I thought about that was to the characteristics that have become part of our organizations, businesses and systems that are not of the heart, might be something along the line of what Rob was talking about when they made this statement. At the present space-time... The conditions of well-meant and unintentional slavery are so numerous that it beggars our ability to enumerate them. Ben Ra gave us an example of our legal system where such unintentional slavery is part of the system. In session 83, questioner, I would say that a very high percentage of the laws and restrictions within what we call our legal system are of a nature of enslavement of which I just spoke. Would you agree with this? I am Ra. It is a necessary balance to the intention of law, which is to protect, that the result would encompass an equal distortion towards imprisonment. Therefore, we may say that your supposition is correct. This is not to denigrate those who in green and blue ray energies sought to free a peaceable people from the bonds of chaos, but only to point out the inevitable consequences of codification of response, which does not recognize the uniqueness of each and every situation within your experience. So it seems to me that our variety of businesses and organizations are based on the idea that we are all alike and need to be treated the same regardless of our observance of following a certain mandated set of rules. We all have to play the capitalist game of using money to buy what we want. All the prices have a profit margin that creates a wealthy class, a middle class, and a lower class of poverty so that the process requires that we slave ourselves to the system. It's too bad that this kind of treating of everyone the same could not carry over to how our society does not treat people the same on the basis of race, color, or creed. Our modern world world culture seems to have gotten so many ideas turned around from what they should be. And then lastly, another area of this seeming sameness of all would be in our medical practices that are built upon the idea that we are all the same as some kind of machine, that raw mentioned in uh, session 64. In observing the allopathic concept of the body complex as the machine, we may note the symptomology of a societal complex seemingly dedicated to the most intransigent desire for distortions, of so distraction, anonymity, and sleep. This is the result, rather than the cause, of societal thinking upon your plane. In turn, this mechanical concept of the body complex has created the continuing proliferation of distortions toward what you would call ill health, due to the strong chemicals used to control and hide bodily distortions. There is a realization among many of your peoples that there are more efficacious systems of healing, not excluding the allopathic, but also including the many other avenues of healing. So what seems to me that Ra is saying is that as a culture, we're infected with a disease that manifests as distraction, anonymity, and sleep. So maybe we need to focus on being conscious seekers of truth. Being conscious, here's the key. Waking up and joining with others who are also spiritually awake and take responsibility for our lives in a way to let our hearts guide us in the way we relate to each other and meet their needs and ours as well. Any thoughts or responses? Gary, I think you have another point of view on that question.
2: I think that was super salient to highlight what Ross said about codification of response and the inevitable consequences that doesn't recognize the uniqueness of all creation and linking that to the way medicine practices and sees the human body. And then there was a th- third component law medicine uh something else that you had included in there Oh, yeah the unintentional enslavement i think man that is a zinger for replying to uh um this fellow seeker's question because he says like if we if we don't have clarity about the differences between the path with and without heart then what characteristics become part of our organizations, like how does our world manifest? And I think that has got to be one key way. There's a lot of unintentional slavery uh, or enslavement, even from those, you know, maybe with positive intentions, just wind up exercising control. And a lot of that is connected to this mechanistic view of the universe that demands this codification of response. Even I've got a paragraph from Eisenstein that I wasn't going to read, but it just connects so well to what you were saying. And he he says, in a broader scale, the entire scientific industrial system has created ecological degradation and social atomization that we attempt to fix from the same technological mindset of quantification, engineering and control. It follows the dream of techno utopia. That if only we could ex- exercise precise control over every bit of matter, if only we could quantify and label and digitize every object with its own IP address, then we could manage the world rationally, eliminate uncertainty, and maximize human well-being. But um, otherwise, in terms of like, how does it? How does our confusion manifest in, in organizations and businesses? Um, I, we obviously live in a very mixed world where polarity is not understood very clearly. So I, I think a lot of institutions or businesses, at least are in general, our economic model, I think, leans negative, but it's a really mixed bag. And some of the downsides of that mixed bag and the leaning negative downsides from the positive polarities perspective, or from my human perspective, include just kind of like the opposite of what we were talking about in the positive models like seeing people as units of production valuable only insofar as they produce and um being exploitative setting up models where profit is king and enriching shareholders is the ultimate goal and the the constituent components of the business organization not having a stake in it uh you know besides collecting the check and being fireable uh, pitting people against one another in competition and using chains of command built upon a dominator hierarchy um, and and lack of regard for environmental or social impact of the operation because like as Austin was describing it's you know the bottom line that's the the chief priority ultimately and anything else that gets one that increases the bottom line is just like a means to an end. Like, do we need good community relations, customer relations? Do we need to create a high quality product? All right. So long
0: as it, um, you know, makes our shareholders wealthier. Good point. Um, Austin, how about you? What do you got to say about this question?
1: Um, Sometimes when we're recording this podcast, it makes me feel uh, awkward because you guys say what have already written down before the show, and like <laughs> I feel like I don't have my own mind anymore. Sharing a mind. We have a
0: group mind, yeah. Maybe that's why
2: um, only like one of the raw social memory complex spoke to Don because if the right. like a second one was up next, he'd be like, Wait. <laughs> Yeah, you said yeah. what I was gonna say. <laughs>
1: uh yeah like i had written down i had sort of this connection that gary just made about um the mechanistic view of the world the materialistic um imposition and then jim brought up the uh you know the healing medicine uh, quote and it you know sparked this whole connection within my response that gary just kind of took away (laughs) from me um but essentially to quickly go over that, what I see as um, sort of reiterating what Gary said, um, there's actually a quo session. One of the recent quo sessions that we were able to do before the pandemic hit, it was actually a practice session, but um, quo was talking about how the material view of the world, despite the fact that in a lot of ways, culturally we've moved beyond um, materialism and like our scientific and spiritual views, it has still infected the way that we look at the world to a great extent where even like religious institutions and like things that are supposedly explicitly spiritual and non-materialistic still approach uh, life and the world in a way that speaks about the world being a machine and that um, there's this sort of separation between matter and spirit and things like that. And I think that is uh, caused has caused a lot of confusion in terms of um, how our organizations operate, specifically, I think Gary, uh, you earlier brought up NGOs, and I was going to mention then that um, while they are very mission oriented and probably a lot more likely to fall within what we would consider a heart centered Uh, organization or an organization that's following the path of the heart. They also come under a lot of criticism because they typically apply this very uh, codified mesh mechanistic approach to how they serve others, particularly if it's an NGO that is uh, primarily like Western based uh, in Europe or in uh, America, and they're trying to serve um, poorer countries they go in without understanding the culture and without understanding the individuals within that culture, not understanding the context of why that country is in the position that it's in. And they attempt to help from a position of not honoring them as a culture and as a people, but as seeing them as a broken part of a machine that they are there to fix. And so they apply the sort of machine concept that, okay, if we just tweak it like this and do it like this, then um, we can help bring their country to prosperity. And a lot of times, um, not always, but a lot of times, it actually can cause as many problems as it helps to solve. And so I think that's one example of how Um, there's confusion because this lack of clarity between the two paths. I think this sort of control based machine view of the world when it is mixed with this genuine desire to help, uh, but it's still sort of based on this imposing control on the world because it views the world as a machine that if we could just control it in the right way, everything would be fine. I think that is um, a great example of confusion. And then one other aspect of the confusion, um, I'm saying confusion. The questioner said uh, that there isn't a clarity between the two paths. And so I'm sort of viewing that as what then it looks like. Um, It's confused about what's heart-centered and what's not heart-centered. One aspect of that I see is what has been termed recently as virtue signaling within corporations and organizations where they essentially take some sort of Uh, current social justice issue um, and then utilize that in order to promote their brand, essentially. And I'm sure that within corporations, there are plenty of individuals who feel strongly about these issues and they are enthusiastic about, you know, using the platform of this corporation to then give a message and to help aid this cause that they feel strongly about. But at the same time, it is uh, just another way in a lot of cases for a corporation to appeal to people in order to promote their brand and sell more product, which in a lot of cases, um, their business practices do more harm than their social uh, advocacy uh, heals. And so it's not necessarily a net positive to adopt these issues and to speak about certain issues. It actually is sort of a way to um, mask the actual harm that is being done by business practices. And I think that, uh, corporations that do that—it may not always be totally intentional. I think sometimes it is the sort of confusion about. Well, we're a corporation, we're a business, we have to make money. Uh, at the same time, we have social responsibility. So let's speak about these issues, and they don't realize that it's a very confused approach. I think.
0: Great job, Austin. Uh, I couldn't see a thing in there that we either Gary or I said. So you you uh, <laughs> did a great job coming up with unique information. Uh, any other comments on question number three? Mm-mm, not for me. Yep. Okay, well our last question number four says So many people don't recognize them and just feel they must put up with things which might be better to redesign to harmonize with one's true intent So my question I added on to this is is there any harm to our positive paths? If we do put up with the path of no heart So Austin, how would you like to go first? So, you know, you're gonna be unique.
1: thanks for the opportunity
0: Um,
1: my response to this is um, I I sort of take this angle a lot in the podcast and that people on the positive path I think can tend to be a little too hard on themselves and when you look at everything that's wrong with the world it just feels like you have the weight of the universe crushing you and you just can't do enough and like if you ignore these issues um it's going to in some cases ruin your polarity and then you won't harvest or in a more general sense that you're just uh, not doing as much as you can and i think that uh each individual has to determine for themselves how much they can do and i think it's important for us to weigh the realist the the reality of our situation we can't um divide our being in this universe down to a granular level and figure out um, where we are unintentionally promoting or supporting these systems on every single level. I think uh, the most staunch advocate for equality is probably still going to do things that, you know, perpetuate the system that they're fighting against. You know, a lot of um, very vocal uh, activists who attempt to not put up with the path with no heart are still using, you know, electronics that were contained materials mined by workers in essentially slave conditions. And I don't bring that up to criticize the people who are use electronics like that and are vocal activists. I bring it up to point out that, like, it's nearly impossible to exist within society without on some level, sort of putting up with this path with no heart that has ingrained itself into our system. And we do have to be a part of our system to change it. So I think so long as we are asking ourselves what we can do realistically, and we're caring for ourselves so that we don't become overwhelmed, and we don't um, allow ourselves to just be crushed by the weight of what is happening around us and we're still able to do whatever we can to serve and to bring love and light into this world and doing our best to reduce the harm of our existence here without letting the potential harm that we're doing overwhelm us. I think that's really the most that we can do. Um, I don't think there's really one good answer for every individual. All of our situations are unique and all of our approaches are unique.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Austin. Um, I think one of the comments or quotes from the raw contact that comes to my mind as you're talking about that was that uh, we always try our best in seeking the creator or serving the creator, or as Rob was talking about in this instance, cleaning the room that we're going to use for uh, channeling raw in the next house, but we all fall short. And what's important is the intention so I think that's basically what you were saying, that the, the intention is the important thing. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just quick comment. I really like how even the mundane things that Ra talks about, they're always trying to give like a deeper meaning. Like you're talking about, they were talking about cleaning a room and they said it's not the cleanliness, the, the result of cleanliness that matters. It's the intention put into cleaning the room that matters when you're trying to cleanse the room. Right. So I just like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. They noted that our room was still, uh, the one we were in right then, d- during the contact, was a little dirty. <laughs> uh, Gary, what do you got to say about this? Last question.
2: Um, I think if we look at the world around us, the human precipitated causes of suffering of others and of the planet are just like too many to catalog and they arise out of what the questioner is asking about Um, and the question of how complicit are we we who consciously identify as striving toward following the path with heart how complicit are we for participating in these world systems like i agree completely with austin that Strive as we might, we are. The world has a momentum, it has a, a set, a set configuration. At least for the present, it's always changing, of course. But like to be here in the world, breathing air in a body, we are necessarily going to be participating in these. Uh, in negative systems because we exist in an illusion where both polarities are present and where the mass and be- mass of people between those two polarities have not made a choice and are confused about the choice. But uh, how complicit are we? Um, it's a topic that has come up before and I'm sure will recur on the podcast because it's a really potent one for uh, trying to answer the question of how the positive individual relates to the world and engages in the world, particularly when that world contains injustice. Um, And I think that positive positive polarizing entities quote unquote, putting up with negative or mixed models is surely a factor for the way the world is right now um because negative oriented models and mixed polarity models don't operate solely by brute force of oppression or capital um or other forms of acquired power but by the disempowered acquiescence of the masses and here's um an mlk quote that uh that speaks to it and and always haunts me and he says, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period, talking about the civil rights movements in the fifties and sixties of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. He who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. that's such a hard one to chew over because like Austin said, how, you know, how can we, protest everything. How can we protest the world and, and various uh, systems? Um, and much has been said about humankind's ability to create a just world if people would simply awaken and speak up and realize the power that they hold in numbers. How many wars alone could be stopped if people just told their governments, uh, and the weapons manufacturers and the military complex? No, um, but I think this points to what is a deeper causal factor than putting up with. And that's at base, the confusion about service to others and service to self and the nature of the choice altogether. Um, our Collective ethics are very confused ethics. We um, seem at times to give lip service to positive ideals and really we're for the domination and enslavement of certain peoples or the disenfranchisement of certain peoples. Uh, We uh, uphold certain values like um, the seeming self-reliance of the Horatio Alger story, the uh, the rags to riches American model and uphold material success with realizing the um, the cost of that system to everybody else that for some to rise others must be in a state of poverty more or less so be so we, we don't really have a unified vision. we don't have a collective set of values that understands what is of the positive polarity and what is of the negative polarity. Negative is upheld as positive and positive is upheld as negative in our confused state. Um, Jim, did you say you added the final question to clarify? Is there any harm to our positive past? Yeah uh, so, uh, working with the word harm i wasn't Sure. I interpreted that to mean what in technical raw jargon, they would call depolarizing.
0: Right. All
2: right. Um, Which to clarify would mean to regress in some way or to lose some increment of one's gained polarity. Uh, And toward that end how do we relate to this world with negative models with injustice and inequity all around us uh like austin was saying it's a very of course individual choice that must be answered through the laboratory of one's lived experience so whether or not you put up with something is the uh, completely individual decision. But in terms of harm and or depolarizing, in general, I would say that the positive entity would depolarize or harm their path by engaging in the acts of negative polarity, which you know, could be summed up as loveless control or manipulation of self or others for personal gain. And, you know, the final quick thought and Eisenstein speaks to this really well. Um, If if in the effort to not put up with something, one feels righteous about some injustice in the world and says, I'm not going to put up with this anymore and becomes bellicose towards the perceived enemy, one may harm their positive path, even though they seem to be fighting for a right cause. If on the other hand, one sees the same injustice, and sees it as something that needs healing and transformation and seeks to render that outcome with the power of loving kindness for all, seeing the creator in all and the sacred dance of it, even in the face of, of gross injustice, they may be still not putting up with that injustice, but while also increasing their positive polarity. And uh, ultimately on the question of putting up with, the other structures of the world. I think that if we don't transform the negative and oppressive and exploitative models present on earth, then forth the coming fourth density will break them down for us. And there will be, uh, uh, then of course, um confusion and and chaos and a feeling of reality itself unraveling but the the fourth density light demands accordance with that higher vibration so what is not in higher vibration will eventually uh dissolve will fall apart will be broken apart in some way in this
0: new revealed light okay good job well, um, for my part, um, I think it's possible that some harm could come from just putting up with the way things are. Because if we do that, then it's uh, there's a risk that we get lulled into that sinkhole of indifference that we discussed in our last podcast. Um, putting up with a system that's not working to the benefit of all by following a path of the open heart, um, we kind of dilute our effort in some way and it makes it more difficult to um, find solutions i think i think um, it's easier to find a solution to a problem that you see as a problem and you treat it as a problem than to go along with it because you don't feel like there's any other choice In a way, uh, we sort of need to rebel like the hippies did in the 60s when they marched against the uh, war in Vietnam and they had their slogan, make love, not war. But maybe today, instead of a rebellion, we could go another direction, something that Ra called an excursion uh, rather than uh, rally against our modern world. In uh, session number 80, uh, Don started off with uh, could I say then that implicit in the process of becoming adept is the possible partial polarization towards service to self because simply the adept becomes disassociated with many of his kind or like in the particular density which he inhabits? And Ross said, this is likely to occur. The apparent happening is disassociation, whether the truth is service to self and thus true disassociation from other selves, or service to others and thus true association with the heart of all other selves and disassociation only from the illusory husks, which prevent the adept from correctly perceiving the self and other self as one. So what is the end result of this disassociation from our systemic lack of the open heart? And again, I'll go back to Ra's session number 75 where Don said, you made the statement in a previous session that the true adept lives more and more as it is. Would you explain and expand upon that statement? am Ra. Each entity is the creator. The entity, as it becomes more and more conscious of itself, gradually comes to the turning point at which it determines to seek either in service to others or in service to self. The seeker becomes the adept when it has balanced with minimal adequacy the energy setters red, orange, yellow, and blue with the addition of green for the positive, thus moving into indigo work. The adept then begins to do less of the preliminary or outer work having to do with function and begins to affect the inner work, which has to do with being. As the adept becomes a more and more consciously crystallized entity, it gradually manifests more and more of that which it has always been since before time that is, the one infinite creator. So I believe and hope that even though we may travel the spiritual path of the adept alone, we can still join with others of like mind to help others meet their more practical needs of mind, body, and spirit in this third density illusion, which seems so heavily functioning in separation at this time. If we can just realize that we are all really one, then whether we're out there on the streets, demonstrating for a change, or meditating and visualizing the planet surrounded in love. I think all of us are doing what we can do to help out. And I think we can do both. Comments or questions? Thumbs up. <laughs> I have uh,
1: some final thoughts to share before we close out the show. Okay. And I am um, like on
2: to plug something after Austin's done.
1: Yeah, I figured Gary might have some final thoughts too. Um, Just sort of in the vein that we're talking about, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, the three of us are sharing our opinions and thoughts and we don't really know the answer to these questions. Um, Maybe the only way for things to really change is for us to go out onto the streets and put our bodies on the line to, you know, refuse the system at hand or maybe if we uh meditate and pray and offer our light to the world something will arise or um arise to help transform society or maybe it's uh something in between um i do have a theory that i at least hope is true and i think it's true that uh my idea is that currently on earth we do have a social memory complex uh, like we will in fourth density as well, but instead of a coherent social memory complex, our social memory complex is uh, very confused and incoherent and lacks the self awareness that a fourth density social memory complex has. And because of this lack of self awareness and confusion, there's uh, not an ability to manifest the sort of things that would truly transform our world to be, you know, what Charles Eisenstein calls. The more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. But my hope is that the more people that are vibrating on a certain frequency, this frequency of universal love and um, this frequency of wanting to transform the world with love and light, no matter how they are expressing that, whether they are called to march in the streets to help bring justice to certain Uh, Aspects of our society that have lacked justice for centuries or whether they are praying in in church with others or um, alone in their meditation room or um, Wherever they are or whether they are uh, just simply walking in the park and feeling love and radiating it to all of the nature and the people that are there that The more and more that people are vibrating within that frequency, the more and more our social memory complex realizes that. And um, I think it has a certain intelligence of its own that expresses itself through individuals. And so, for instance, I brought up the idea that most of our electronics are very They're not only environmentally harmful, they're harmful to people who help to build them and to mine the materials. But I think the more and more people that maybe become aware of that and then vibrate with the desire for there to be a more loving system in place to replace this harmful system, we don't necessarily have to give up what we have right now, but that if we expressed to the universe and to our confused social memory complex that this is what we want, and there are enough people expressing that, then the social memory complex will um, provide it for us. It will, through whatever means, people, organizations, businesses, then sort of, whether quickly or slowly, shift the system to something that is more in alignment with the hearts of that social memory complex. and. That's my hope, at least, is that no matter what we're doing, as long as we're true to ourselves and we say this is how I truly believe I should be acting in this moment and offering my love, whether it's protesting or meditating, um, I think that it has a profound effect and will hopefully help our social memory complex gain a little bit of coherence and realize
0: the hearts of the people. All right. Very good. I like that, Austin. Gary? What was your last comment
2: yeah well first now austin's tapped a really rich vein and i want to offer a couple thoughts to that and say that um, ra describes how our first and most powerful and fundamental service is one not of doing but of being you know whatever we may however our form may manifest in the world whether you know, we're a singer or a scientist or a protester or a caretaker. First and foremost, it's the quality of our being and the energy that effortlessly, without us doing anything, radiates from our being. And the more that we, according to the philosophy, can open our hearts and practice forgiveness and allow unconditional love through us, even if we're not technically interacting with anybody, really, if we're just in our own homes, then we are shining a light into this world and we're literally changing the metaphysical environment um, of planet earth but also we're changing exactly what austin described the the collect the shared mind the latent social memory complex and i think that rupert sheldrake's uh The morphogenic field speaks to this, uh, that operates by morphic resonance, um, in that like the desires of the collective, the questions that the collective is asking itself, the intentions and so forth, then open the door for somebody within that group to manifest the need. And the Confederation has highlighted again and again the primacy of desire, and which is why it's important to learn. How to orient our desire and refine our desire and why it's important to have clarity about what is service to others so that we can more purely desire true service to others and affect the whole. But uh, sorry, in closing, I want to point the listener to someone The lines of question asked in this particular podcast ask us to consider the law of one as applied to the workings of the world. And uh, as Austin was saying, like we are, um, you know, not experts, let's say with this world and our particular organization ll research is an outlier in the world and is not representative generally of of the basic mix and i lack a lot of depth of study and familiarity with the systems that run the world but i do i have discovered some buddy who is and his name is Charles Eisenstein and I'm going to sound a little bit hyperbolic here, but it's it's my truth, so it is what it is uh, I've yet to encounter another human who so thoroughly grasps our economic corporate political medical food social etc systems um, he I, He understands these impossibly complex and intricate systems from the macro to the micro, but from a fourth density oriented consciousness like reading him i see someone who sees the unraveling of our world institutions part of what he calls the world-eating machine as part of a larger narrative unfolding of the birthing of a new world of a new planet that wants to be born. and he's really in terms of a, a human form without reifying him or is the closest i've come to a visionary and He's not someone that says, uh, follow me, I know the way, but he's someone who's really learning how to tune his ear to the world that wants to be born and helping us all listen so that we can enter what he calls the space between stories as we move from the old story of separation to the new and ancient story of interbeing. And like LL Research, he makes all of his books and essays available for free on his website. And there's one on an essay on his site called Institutes for Technologies of Reunion that speaks to the the positive transformation of the world underway and might speak to some of this seeker's questions. And also he's got a... uh, big book called Sacred Economics that really studies our economic system and its its flaws from again from the spiritually oriented perspective of fourth density consciousness i've not seen this marriage of world savviness and and spirituality so uh, perfectly together than in this one person okay
0: thanks okay great any final comments well, then, you have been listening to Elena Research's The Law of One podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more from the LNL Research, LLResearch.org and BringForth.org. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. A special thank you to our anonymous listener for the question and to Gary and Austin for joining me today. If you've got a question or topic you'd like for us to discuss, please read the instructions at LLResearch.org forward slash podcast. We thank you all our faithful listeners, for tuning into this podcast and for being with us in spirit today. When you find yourselves in any situation which seems to be reflecting the path of no heart and love seems absent, we encourage you to look through the illusion of separation and confusion, to see love in the Creator all around you, and to open your heart in unconditional love. And know that we love you always. You are our brothers and sisters of the open heart. We love you all, and we'll talk with you again next time.